The information contained in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute investment or financial advice. You should seek tailored advice that is specific to your circumstances before making any investment decision. The Good Investing Podcast connects you with successful investors and business leaders who invest in or are experts in a range of industries, but do it with a difference. You get told at midday that you've got to totally close by five o'clock that day. The team in Threadbo did that. And then we reopened within 24 hours. We got two hours notice to reopen, reopen an entire ski resort within 24 hours. You don't do that unless you've adapted and changed the business to be able to do it. And not only that, you know, you bring the whole team, the whole customer base, everyone along with you. Welcome back for part B of the episode with Stuart Diver. Today, we are going to discuss survival skills and steering a business through the pandemic, climate change and sustainability more broadly, and Stuart's charitable interests. We hope you enjoy. You run a tourism business that's faced in 18 months um, a bushfire disaster that interrupted large swathes of, of the state and the snowies. Um, you've then gone headlong into a global pandemic. Uh, I understand and, and correct me, but the winter just gone is the first winter that Threadbone at 65 years has actually had to close its doors during the ski season. So yep. how have you utilised your survival skills that you've, you've, you, you are innate and, and, and you've, you've harnessed over time in a business capacity through, through the last 18 months? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I probably uh, am fortunate in the experience that I've gone through in my life or the experiences um, have definitely given me that platform to be able to transfer that across into business. And I think one of the main things that, you know, I offer the team and, and offer Threadbow um, is that ability to be able to be calm in, in that crisis, to be able to step back and look at what's going on around me. And I can only do that because I have an amazing, you know, senior leadership team in Threbo as well, um, you know, with many years of experience. And then to be able to look at, and, you know, this may sound, you know, what? Do you, how can you look at opportunities when you're in the middle of a bushfire that's, you know, threatening Threadbow? But that's what you do. You, you look at it the business, you look at the community, you look at the people around you and you look for what is the opportunity here. So it may be the opportunity is that we need to protect the village so that it doesn't burn down. Or it may be at the beginning of the pandemic, there was an opportunity there to look at how we run our business and to say, okay, we have been told by government, we can only have 50% of the number of people here. What are we going to do to, to make sure that the business survives to the following winter? Um, and, and that is, you know, so I look at that, you know, the, the COVID at the beginning of last winter was a really great opportunity for us to look at the business, to look at how we ran the business and then to make changes, which will, and I believe they will, will stay with us for years and years and years to come. Um, Because, you know, is it, you have the intestinal fortitude, the strength, where does it come from? You know, I believe that, you know, the, the key people in business, and I'm not on my own here, through this whole pandemic, they've made great decisions. You know, they've made really, really hard decisions in making those decisions, they've had the support of their entire teams, whether that's boards, you know, CEOs above them, uh, whether it's the teams below them, they've had the support of those teams around them to be able to make those decisions. And I think that that's been key for me, you know, in, in making those decisions and some of them in Threadbow were hugely difficult, you know, in regards to, to pricing strategy, to season passes, all of that sort of stuff. You know, we basically went 
out on a limb, revolutionise what had been done in the industry for the past 45 years, um, to which some people would have said, what the hell are you doing? And I'm sure they did. Luckily for me, you know, I had the support of, of Jane, um, you know, our CEO and, you know, and the board uh, to be able to make those changes, you know, refund millions of dollars of season passes, change the whole pricing structure. Um, and as you know, from a, from a business point of view, that worked. And then you tear that down um, and you say, so then what did you do with that? Well, we had to make sure that our staff were safe, that our guests were safe. So, you know, we led the industry in um, having a safe operating plan to be able to open all of the all of the resorts, ski resorts in Australia, so that we could prove to government that we were able to open, we were able to look after people, we were able to do all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's multi-tiered all the way down. But the key is that I looked at that, the pandemic, not as being something that is a disaster that's going to kill our business, but as an opportunity to make our business better. And I think if you look at any of the businesses that have thrived over the last 18 months, um, they've all done exactly the same thing. Yeah, right. So, I mean, obviously within the event hospitality accounts, the early evidence suggests that what, what you've put in place has been successful. Would you go as far as say that Trebo's a better business now? post the pandemic? Well, you can't say post the pandemic, post your experience <laughs> during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I would say that, you know, the Threadbow business, well, I'd say that the, you know, the whole event businesses were and are great businesses. They were that pre, um, you know, using Threadbow as an example, we, we ran, you know, a, a great year round Alpine resort. We ran it, you know, economically really well. It was, a, we run it frugally. We were doing all of that sort of stuff. You know, our snowmaking technology is world-class and leading, you know, it's, it's all of those things and all of the team in Threadbow really could go anywhere in the world and run a ski resort. Like they are, they are that skilled. So we already had that. And I think that gave us the real ability to be able to do it. Definitely. We've made improvements in the business um, across the whole group, but you know, definitely in Threadbow in, in the way that we have become more agile, so we can make those changes quicker. And, 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 you know, sometimes in, you know, bigger public companies, it can be really hard to do that. Private companies are really easy, but bigger public companies, it can be hard because there's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of red tape. We were able to, and I think we've given ourselves an even better ability to be able to make those changes and decisions really quickly. And I think that, and to be able to, and, you know, this comes down to leadership in lots of ways, to be able to bring the team along with us. So now when we make one of those changes, like last week, Threadbow got shut down again. You know, we got to reopen for 12 days. Ooh, you know, then we got shut, locked down again. Our team pivots within, you know, two hours. It's, you know, so you, you look at, we got given two out five hours notice to lock down um, after being fully operational. That's a fully operational ski resort. You know, you get told at midday that you've got to close, totally close by five o'clock that day. Um, the team in Threadbow did that. Yeah, and then we reopened within 24 hours. We got two hours notice to reopen, reopen an entire ski resort within 24 hours. You don't do that unless you've you've adapted and changed the business to be able to do it. And not only that, you know, you bring the whole team, the whole customer base, everyone along with you, which I think, you know, is a is a phenomenal testament, you know, to to event as a company to be able to have really put that in place over the last six to 12 months um, and then to be able to use it in our day-to-day business to to prove that we can adapt, we can change, we can move and there's still more work to be done. Um, but I think we're in a, you know, we're in an amazing position going forward. That's really interesting. 
it's fair to say a really important part of our investment process at Ethical Partners is understanding the environmental footprint, history, emissions profile, and the uh, the threats and opportunities that climate change represents. The recent uh, IPCC report that's received so much attention in sort of business, political, and 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 the media spheres, in our view, had two main takeaways. It was a very large document, so to distill it into two takeaways is, is quite um, it's quite a skill, and I, I can't take credit for it, but. Uh, the first one really was urgency to act. And the second one was, and apologies for the buzzword, resilience, ensuring resilience of the assets. Now, Threadbow as an alpine tourism asset is arguably at the forefront of the potential challenges of what climate change represents. I'm really interested in how the team and yourself are preparing Threadbow and what you've been doing and what you will do around that challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've the the I think the important thing to note is that Threadbow recognised that challenge a long, long time ago. I mean, we started um, making snow in the late 1980s when the technology was nowhere near as good as it is now. Um, you know, put in a massive snowmaking system in the early 90s um, because we realised that you know, that snow uh, for, a, for a winter ski resort uh, was going to be an issue, um, would continue to be. So if you use that as sort of the focus that the, the without snow on the ground, um, you know, there's, there's a big chunk of your business that's not going to be there. Uh, if you use that as the base, then you start, thinking, well, what is our strategy going forward? Um, Threadbow has been well-placed and, you know, this is historical as well. When it was first thought of in 1956, they were thinking of it as a year-round alpine resort. They were never thinking it as just as a winter resort. So that's sort of been in our culture the whole way through uh, for Threadbow. And I think that all that event has done as we've, you know, come in um, is invest in those areas, invest in snowmaking, invest in infrastructure that's going to give us more resilience going forward. Um, but then to also look at what are the opportunities uh, to expand that year round business. So it's sort of, there's there's two main fa- facets to that strategy. So you talk about snowmaking, well, you know, we're currently, the strategy moving forward is to, to double the capacity of our ability to, to pump water and air up the hill. So that's, you know, double the capacity of the snowmaking pump house. You know, we're currently replacing uh, the pipes with, with bigger pipes going up the hill so we can pump more water, so we can make more snow because we've identified, as all the reports are showing, um, that as climate change uh, takes uh, effect, then the opportunities and the cold temperatures to make snow are going to be shorter. So therefore, if we can double the capacity, we can make the same amount of snow in 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 you know half the time. So you look at stuff like that. You look at emerging technologies. So there's you know snow boxes or ice boxes that can make snow at plus twenty four. You know Mount Buller has uh, a couple of those at the moment. Um, the the technology's there. The technology will get better. It'll become cheaper. It'll be easier to do. So you know that's stuff that we're constantly keeping our eye on. So that's sort of snow. That's that's how you you get around that issue. But um, you also then have, that's still only going to be 16 weeks of your year. So there's a big chunk of the year where you need to do something else. So we're at the forefront. Same thing. I mean, we've been mountain biking in Threadbow, gravity mountain biking. So the chairlift to go up with a, with a trail coming down for 30 years. You know, we were pioneers in that. That's when mountain bikes were really just invented. You know, we were pioneers in that area. Now it took us about another 20 years then to say that is a real business opportunity. Let's develop it. So, you know, we're investing every year in new mountain bike trails. We're opening up more lifts. This summer, we're going to open up 
up two more lifts for mountain biking and expand that out. And that is a huge part of our summer business now. So you look at that, that's the flip side to the skiing part. And that sort of takes, and people go, oh, but you can, you'll never make the same money out of that. Possibly not. But if you look at last summer's results, um, it is a business that has huge growth, especially in a resort where you've already got all the lifting infrastructure in there. And then we look at other summer opportunities around that with like zip lines. So like flying foxes, um, alpine coasters, which are like gravity roller coasters. So we're looking at installing one of those next summer um, so that people have other things to do um, year round and they're year round assets, you know, Alpine coasters, they can run in snow, they can run in the rain. So it's putting in things that'll give, build resilience into the business to be able to do that. So that's sort of the business point of view, point of it. And then the other part that I think Threadbo has done really well, but we probably haven't, um, you know, put it out there enough or given ourselves enough credit for is we've been in lead leaders in environmental sustainability. For, for such a long time as well, working, obviously, we're inside a national park. Our landlord is the National Parks and Wildlife Service. I mean, it is, it, we are pretty pretty key in an area that, you know, the water that comes into Threadbow, when it goes through Threadbow and goes out the other end, we want to make sure it's in exactly the same quality it came in. We've been doing that for 40 plus years already, you know. So, when, when you look at stuff like that, we want to, you know, we, we always, you know, our tree planting has been going on in Threadbow long before tree planting was mandated as part of, you know, putting in a new lift or doing it. And we were already replacing a lot of trees down our main ski runs because we realised that we needed shade on those runs to give them longevity to last longer in the season. So there's been a lot of stuff that's been going on and we will continue um, hopefully through the, the work that we're doing, not just in Threadbow, but across the group to be, uh, you know, to be leaders in that environmental sustainability area area because I think it's you know absolutely crucial for us not just so that the business survives um, but because we actually want to do it yeah okay I mean I obviously financial markets and financial capital is becoming more discerning and more understanding of the risks and challenges of sustainability and climate change I'm interested in your thoughts on the consumer I mean do, do you think that these initiatives um, obviously the opportunities would resonate more snowmaking or be there in summer? But but how people are dealing with dealing with the challenges? Like, do do you see TripAdvisor having a column of weighing up Threadbow and Perisher about who has hundred percent renewable energy or who has better biodiversity management? Do you expect it to get to that level, or are you seeing any evidence yet that consumers are becoming really discerning on these issues? One hundred percent. I mean, we're seeing it already, so we already get those questions, which is why it's you know so important for us, whether it's through our website or just through our normal comms. Uh, um, to show what we are doing because consumers, you know, are very much interested in that. And the big resorts around the world, whether it's, you know, your Vale resorts or there's Altera Group now, which, you know, have a lot of the big resorts in the US, they've recognised exactly the same thing. So consumers, you know, whether it's a small thing, like they go to one of your takeaway venues and it's, you know, what what are you serving the food in, you know, or are you, you know, are you using crockery and washing it? You know, it's all of those, you know, down to that minute level, all the way up to, as you say, you know, Threadbow being powered by, you know, 100% renewable energy for, for uh, the majority of our mountain operations, that's important to people. You know, and it's a hard thing to say because some of them are flying here, some of them are driving their cars six hours uh, down here. Um, it really is, it, it's, it's, it's always a balance for our consumer. 
but they are definitely focused on what we're doing in regards to environmental sustainability. And I think it's only going to become more and more and more. And I think that they will definitely make choices based off what businesses are doing, especially in these tourism, eco-tourism sort of areas which are you know expanding around Australia around the world I think there will be a lot more scrutiny which is why you know for us being involved in you know earth check and you know there's there's other areas that we get certification for for our backcountry tours and all of that sort of stuff to make sure that people are aware of what we are doing um, and feel comfortable when they come down here yeah okay and and, and Threbo you know forms part of the listed asset portfolio event. Which is, you know, the, the the dominant cinema business in in event in Australia, New Zealand, German cinema business that maybe wasn't at one point envisaged to be still there, but it is. Um, yep. <laughs> the the hotel portfolio, the the QTs and the ridges and and some more niche brands and some other related property investments. There's there's quite an array of hospitality and tourism assets there. Um, the the at a group level, there's definitely a, a journey going on around sustainability more broadly. And I understand you're part of spearheading that process. Is that something that excites you and you see some threats and opportunities and, and, and challenges there that you can you can um, work through? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I see that, you know, there's, there's enormous opportunities for us uh, across the group. Um, I think that Threadbow's definitely led in some areas, you know, the environmental sustainability stuff, definitely because of where we where we are and we've been forced to do that. And I, you know, I love the opportunity that Threadbow can be the champions of the group uh, to really push that through. But, you know, there's other parts of the group, you know, whether it comes down to, you know, the social responsibility stuff. I mean, hotels and cinemas have always engaged, you know, amazingly with their local communities, whether it's in regards to charities, you know, all of that sort of stuff, you know, the the way that, you know, the the, the demographic that we employ in, in a lot of those areas, whether it's cinemas or, or in hotels, you know, we've been, they've been leading that area. So I think, you know, Threadbow can definitely learn from the other areas, the group in regards to that. So I think, you know, the, the work that we're doing at the corporate level now, I think is really exciting because we'll be able to transfer, you know, those ideas that we've got across all areas of the business uh, and make sure that in some way they're uniform. Um, you know, it, it can be difficult in a cinema to be, you know, to, for, to have the glory of some of the environmental initiatives that we have in Threadbow because it's just not quite as glamorous. But, you know, the, the work that can be done, you know, across all of the parts of the business, I think is going to be really important, as you say, you know, from an investment perspective going forward, um, you know, and, and, and you know, the developments that we do, all of those sort of things, there's a lot of thought being put into, you know, how they are more sustainable and in a lot of ways, how we get recognition for, you know, the work that we do. Because I think that's that's the key, you know, as we go forward. It's great to do the work and we feel good about it and we can celebrate, you know, that the work that we've done um, and we can look for new opportunities and we can do those. But it's how we share that with the, with the wider group, whether it's the invest, investment community, whether it's with our, our guests, the people coming to, uh, you know, to watch a cinema. It's making sure that they're aware of, of what it is that we actually are doing. And I think that's a really important part of how we communicate that and, and what we do, uh, you know, as this committee does um, more, more work in this area. It's great to hear. It's great to hear. 
in in terms of um, sort of social and, and, and charitable life, you've you've been involved with um, a number of charitable charitable organisations. One group I, I wasn't familiar with till I was doing some reading on, on on before we spoke was the Stephen Walter Children's Cancer Foundation that you're an ambassador for. You've you've worked with various cancer research groups and breast cancer charitable groups that you've been an advocate for. You 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 you're uh, you're increasingly um, public and outspoken advocate around mental health, and you've really generously talked around those issues. It must be something that you can generate a lot of pride in that you're able to draw on your personal experiences. And, and assist others. It, it, it must be something that you get a lot of satisfaction of in, in the in your. I understand that wouldn't be the the driving force behind doing it, but but I'm interested in your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it's, comes back to that original belief that I have. You know, that you care for people, you love people, um, and you know, it can sound a bit wishy washy. But yeah, you know, if you base everything you do in that, so you know, I've just launched this week. Breast Cancer Network Australia has just launched um, through Burley Bras their pink bra campaign. You know, if you anyone who purchases a pink bra from Burley Bras, ten dollars goes to the Breast Cancer Network Australia. They're an amazing organisation. You know, I've been an ambassador for them for you know, for many many years and and they help they're, they're not a research organization but they help women go through and partners and you know everyone else involved go through that journey of um of, of breast cancer you know and, and hopefully survive and, and come out the other end so for me to to you know be a part of that campaign to do some media around it to to talk about it um is actually a, a tiny little impost on my time and my life um, and yet you can get such a hugely positive outcome out of it. And that's why I love charity work. And I, that's why I love, you know, in some ways using my profile to be able to do that because, you know, I, you feel good about helping people. That's all there is to it. You feel good about caring for people. That's why you, you, you know, that's why we do it as humans. So to be able to do that on a slightly grander scale, um, you know, is something that's, that's always interested me, but it's also something that, you know, was instilled in me by my parents from a young age. I mean, we did, I used to shake the can, you know, out the front of Kmart in Geelong when I was six years old to raise money for, um, it was community aid abroad at that time, which is now Oxfam, you know, so that charitable work and what they can do for people, you know, was instilled in me from a very young age. And, and, and that is important for me, not just in my personal life, but also, you know, through the wider event group and through, um, and, and especially in Threadbow, because I think that that's, going to be a real key for us going forwards. We've got you know, a great workplace giving program already uh, within the company, but this is giving us an opportunity to look at that and to try and say, how can we do it better? How can we gauge staff more in that, you know, especially Threadbow with their transient staff? You know, and my ideas around that at the moment are, you know, are, are making it more localised. So rather than say we're going to have these big national charities we're going to give our money to, why don't we say what is it in Threadbow or the local area around Threadbow that we can give money to because I think, you know, our 1,200 staff would feel a lot more engaged if they knew that they were giving to Disabled Winter Sports Australia, which we can currently do. But, you know, Threadbow's had a 40-year association with them. It's, we, you know, it's a big part of our winter business in trying to get disabled people up onto the slopes and have a ski or winter experience. And so, but it's how, how do you extend that? And I think, you know, I've got some ideas around that, which will hopefully you know, come to fruition over the next um, 12 months because I look at Threadbow as a great opportunity for charitable work because we have a, a base of um, fairly affluent, uh, you know, our, our clients are fairly affluent, affluent. They want to be involved in something that makes them feel good too. And something like a Threadbow 
Robo Foundation or something around those ideas where you can give to local charities, I think there's a great opportunity for us not to be able to, you know, generate um, donations through our staff, but also through our uh, guests. And I think you could spread that out across the group to hotels, to to all of that, to make sure that, you know, as a big corporate citizen, and especially in Threadbow, where we, you know, truly are a one company town, um, to be seen, to be doing charitable work for the community, but, you know, not just to be seen to be doing it, to be actually doing it and getting engaged in it. And I think that that's, you know, that's where the opportunity is. And as you said, you know, that's a big part of my personal life, um, but it's also something that I think, uh, you know, events done really, really well. And But I think we can um, we can definitely do better going forward. What an awesome idea, the Thread by Foundation. That's got a great ring to it. Yeah, I'm not sure Jane will like me um, airing that as I thought halfway through that. But anyway, let's see. Maybe this will give it the (laughs) the (laughs) go-ahead. Shifting gears a little bit, we try to ask um, our guests on the podcast some questions on leadership and investing more more generally. We've touched a bit on your hands-on style and your leadership style and and your, your entrepreneurial spirit. But what would you say is the most overlooked or, if you will, underrated aspect of, of a good leader, of good leadership? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always hard because most good leaders don't look at themselves as being good leaders. I think that that's a, a real key. They look at themselves as being part of a team. Also modest. And then just one extra cog in the team. And then they have the ability and, you know, I've spoken about it today about my team. That's, that's what makes me a great leader. I can sort of move a few things around and I can do things, but that's what makes people lead. You know, not saying just said then makes me a great leader. You know, that, that, that the ability to be part of a team. It's not the ability to be able to stand up. And I think, you can, you know, I mean, you see that across businesses all around the world. It's the guy who has empathy or girl who has empathy, has compassion, has the ability to look after people. And you can see there's a common theme here in what I talk about. It's the ability to look after people, the ability to see what it is that your people need and want that makes a great business. Because if you don't have that you're just isolated and you can tell people what to do and you can manage down, you can manage up, you can manage any way you want. You, you will never get the absolute best results out of your team because if they don't believe that they are being looked after and it can be really difficult in business, you get, you make hard decisions and some of those decisions affect people's lives and it, and it can be difficult at times, but if your bottom tenet there is that you're trying to look after the greater good of everyone in your organization, and then that extends obviously to your guests, to your clients, to, to everyone else, then I think you put yourself in the absolute box seat um, to be able to lead, whether it's through a crisis or through the good times too, because, you know, we've got to be able to celebrate those as well. There's, they're, they're coming, they're just around the corner, hopefully we'll get through this little pandemic and uh, we'll be on our way again. I think that, yeah, if, you, if you're not involving the people, looking after the people, and you can use any, any words you want around that, you know, I love, you know, that empathy, I love being compassionate, I love, you know, caring for people. If you're not doing that, then, you, you are really putting yourself behind the eight ball. And I think that's probably the most 
undervalued thing in business and as, and in society as you know in greater society as we look at ourselves and we um, get more and more focused on ourselves um, we become more and more isolated because we're maybe not going into the office or we're not socializing as much as we want so the world is becoming more and more about me 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 rather than than everything else and I think we can sometimes slip into that mode as leaders um, and if we do that we lose focus on what the actual greater good is going to be. And, and if you can, yeah, if, if they're with you and the team are coming with you, the results just follow. But if you try and do it the other way around and dictate how the results are going to be and you don't have a team, you've basically got nothing. If you had to name in that vein one person who has inspired you the most in any aspect of your career, who would that be? It's, I mean, it's, it's an, I'm, I'm going to go straight to the top and say that a, a person who's been instrumental, there's two people who've been instrumental in my life. One has been Sally's dad, um, Andrew, who was a businessman in Melbourne, and he has always been an amazing supporter of me in my personal life as well as in my uh, business life. He's always said to me, what you do well, Stuart, and this comes back to the same theme, is you you love being around people, whether it's in a social setting, whether it's in a work setting. So therefore, you, your basic instinct is to always look after people. You know, he did some really amazing things with his company in the early days where he started giving his company away to his staff. He knew he was going to retire. He knew he was out of it. So he basically, yeah, he, every year they'd get just a, an allocation of shares in the company until he got to the point where they had 51% of the company and he was out. You know, that was, he was doing that 20 odd years ago um, because he wanted to look after those people who'd been through all the hard times with him to get this business, to make it successful. And so he, he was one who sort of is drilled into me, you know, and mentored me on that line and the other one has, yeah, has been Alan Ridge, who's obviously the the chair um, of of event, um, and he you know has been heavily involved in Threbow and did a lot of the early investment um, when the company purchased Threbow in the late eighties. Um, and he and I have been through a lot together in Threbow. You know, he that landslide and you know everything else that went with that. You know, was a was a huge thing for the company for the business for him at that time uh, in his position in the business. Um, And so he has been a great mentor to me, not only, you know, long before um, I got this position within the business, but also in my personal life and a great support all the way through. And it's sort of, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of people in my life who have done that, but, you know, from a personal point of view, and from a business point of view, it's it's great to have those supporters who are able to stand by you, whether you're making brutally hard business decisions or whether you're actually out there enjoying a few turns on the hill and having a, a bit of a social time. It's great to be able to have someone like that as as you know on the as the chairman of, of our business. And I think that you know it's uh, it's key to have those people in your life, um, and it's key to have you know th- those phone calls that come weekly phone calls that come through um, to see how the business is going and to they, 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 I don't see them as you know checking up to see what's going on in Threadbo. They're, they're really a personal call to see how I'm going, how the people are going you know and that's if you can lead like 
that from the top, then that gets instilled through the through the culture all the way through. And you know, Jane as you know when she's come on as uh, as CEO has definitely done an enormous amount of work um, on people through our Elevate program, through all the things that we're doing. That's all about people because you know she recognizes um, how important that is to our business. And I think that's going to give us a great platform. It's given us a great platform to look after our people through this whole pandemic, whether they're in cinemas and haven't worked for a very long time or hotels. Um, I think that that's uh, going to drive, uh, drive the business uh, over the next, uh, over the next decades because it's uh, it is key and people are, uh, are what we're all about. Yeah. Good, good mentors and surrounding yourself with strong leaders at, at the formative ages of your career are, really important and I've been lucky to have that and you're just so grateful and, and the sort of older and wiser you get and the less air you have the more you you realize how valuable it is it's like you you only value experience once you've got it yourself I think and unfortunately um, yeah, absolutely yeah um just it doesn't sound like there there have been many things you've failed at but but would you mind uh mentioning something you may have failed at for want of a better word uh, and and maybe how you learn from that and set up some sort of success later on in in life in career or other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, if you make people the most important thing in your life um, and in your business in your personal life, then for me, one of one of the core things that I've failed at is I've definitely have had relationships that haven't worked. You know, whether they're in business or whether they're personal relationships. And you can look at that and say, okay, that's a failing because, you know, that was a business or that was a that was a long-term friend or that was a long-term business relationship that now, you know, is not going as well as it was. Um, which can be really detrimental if you focus on that aspect of it. But the way you know, that I look at it and the way my mind works is, well, I have to look at that as an opportunity of what went wrong there. Or did something go wrong or is that just a natural evolution of how a relationship goes? Or did I actually make a choice to get out of that relationship? And so, therefore, that was a good outcome. So, you know, in, in some of those relationships, I've definitely been at fault myself. You know, I'm sure as we all have, that's why those relationships come to an end. Um, so, the opportunity I see there is to take responsibility for that to say, okay, what could I have done better to maintain that relationship? But also to look at it, and I can I do this sometimes, probably in a bit too much of a clinical way, but you know, which has helped me in business at times. But to look at it and say, did I really need that relationship in my life, whether it was a business relationship or a personal relationship? And to say, so, okay, maybe the best thing is that we both move on, we both go our separate ways. The business will be better my personal life will be better, et cetera. And some of those can be brutally hard to take, brutal, brutally hard decisions to make, you know, whether it's in your personal life or in your, in your business life. But I see that as being, you know, the, the, the opportunity. So, you know, some of those relationships, could you have worked harder and, you know, done all of that sort of stuff to, to, to bring them back and keep them going? Yeah, possibly. But I always think there's some underlying reason as to possibly why they fall by the wayside. And I think, you know, I, I look at that in some ways, definitely, as a failing um, of myself, but definitely as an opportunity to then move forward, look at new relationships, and then and then grow with those, uh, and and use those, you know, to hopefully present you know opportunities in your life, and and then to move forward, and you know, and live 
a, a prosperous life because, you know, that's what we like to do in business, but, um, you know, also a, a happy and fulfilled life. And I think that, you know, sometimes those hard decisions you know, have to be made and how they came about, yeah, definitely take responsibility for them, but, you know, use them as a, as that platform, you know, to, to hopefully live a better life. Mm. Someone wiser than me said, um, think of mistakes as future success. And, um, I suppose the good news for me is I've got a lot of future success coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, but the, you, know, you, you tell me the truth is exactly that. You, you took, you've got to take responsibility for that opportunity, either that opportunity you missed, that decision you made that, you know, had a really terrible outcome. You know, I've made, you know, you look at, if you want, you want big mistakes, there's been some in my life. You know, I moved into that, that building um, in Threadbow six weeks prior to the landslide. I could have stayed at the other end of town in another apartment that we had, but the rent went up $30 a week. So for $30 a week, I decided to move into staff accommodation because that was going to be a better decision. So if you want bad decisions, you know, that have, you know, hugely tragic outcomes, then, you know, I've, I've, I've had to deal with a few in my life. So now I just pay more rent. No, I um, now I look at those and, uh, yeah, but you look at those and you learn and you say, well, yeah, but what can I do? I can't go back and change what happened. So, you know, I'll use that as an experience to, to work out how I can do it better next. And I think if you can do that as a human and take responsibility for making that original decision, then, um, yeah, then you're definitely uh, on the way to being able to, to have some future success, as they say. Good. And um, look, this is a question I, I love asking because I often get good tips um, and I'm really guilty because I normally have about three or four books beside my bed at any one time. But what are you reading at the moment? Uh, that's so funny because my daughter came up to me this morning. She goes, Dad, I've read 31 books this year. How many books have you read? And I said, oh, I've uh, read about four. <laughs> she goes, that is not enough. <laughs> what are you doing? I sort of, I went down the self-help uh, road for a little while there and um, read yeah, a whole lot of different books, but decided that that was uh, a little bit, um, in saying that I've sort of got into Brene Brown in the last little bit, um, you know, and her, her leadership stuff uh, as you go through. But it's sort of funny. I find that a lot of the self-help stuff just goes round and round and round um, and comes back to similar themes, which is meant to, but they, you know, eight books in, they're still saying the same thing they were saying in book one um, and telling you stuff that you know, but it comes back to that. You just need to take action. So currently I can say I'm not reading anything because I haven't got anything new. I have gone into starting to read um, a fair bit of fiction, um, which I never used to read purely because um, someone said, Stuart, you are actually allowed to read books that just provide some light entertainment and fun in your life <laughs> rather than having to read books that are going to constantly change the world. But um, currently I'll have to wait for my daughter to, to pick a new one for me because I'm uh, not reading anything at the moment. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, now, look, just to finish off, we we try to run a little quiz for all our guests. It's tailored, of course. And um, the key to it, there's only one rule and it's spontaneity because if, if the answers aren't immediate, it can be a bit of a fizzer. So we'll, we'll try to keep it moving pretty quickly. Um, yep. I think there's five questions. Ski or snowboard? Uh, ski for sure. Good good to hear. Knee deep powder days or freshly groomed runs? Oh, knee deep powder all the way. Oh, you're, you're a better skier than I. <laughs> I need those freshly groomed runs. <laughs> I do like the fresh groomers though. They always work pretty well. Maybe with just a light dusting on top. Um, That's it. That, oh, that is perfection actually. Yeah. You're right. As, as both um, someone with an entrepreneurial spirit and a love of the outdoors, you might find this tough. 
Um, but if you could invite one famous person for dinner, uh, and, and sadly one's no longer with us, so it's obviously fictional, would it be Sir Edmund Hillary or Sir Richard Branson? Sir Edmund Hillary all the way. <laughs> thought that might get you, but Richard Branson, would be, it would be a fun evening, no doubt about it. Would it would be entertaining, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, I just, if you look at if you look at the both of them and what they achieved in their lives, obviously very, very different. Yeah, the one that interests me is, um, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary and, you know, it came, that would come just to go back to a little side story. When I was in Nepal as a nine-year-old, we went up one of the side valleys and we came to this school in one of the Sherpa valleys in the Kumbu region in the middle of nowhere. And it was a school that had been built by Serdman Hillary's charity, um, of which he did an enormous amount of work um, around Nepal. So, you know, used his, you know, being the first to climb Mount Everest, um, you know, not just to to make himself, uh, you know, stand out, but to also, you know, did a huge amount of charity work over the years and that, and I'm sure Sir Richard Branson has as well, but um, that, you know, really inspired me to be able to do that and, you know, give back to those communities that, you know, the Sherpa community, especially that had given him so much. Yeah, good on you. Now, when Stuart Diver winds down, are you a glass of red and a good book? Well, we have somewhat discussed that, so this might not get the gong. Um, or a climb the nearest mountain person. My, my guess is you might combine the two, but which one would it be? Yeah, well, it's funny. I would combine the two by climbing the nearest mountain to um, to make sure that I was nice and physically tired before sitting down with a glass of red and a few squares of dark chocolate. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, and just finally... Would you prefer to know a lot about a little or a little about a lot of things? A, a lot about a little because I think in this day and age, the world is just becoming so full of you know, avenues to get information on absolutely everything. I think at some point you need to focus and you need to be able to focus on, you know, those things that are important and and make sure that you've got really deep knowledge on those areas. Um, yeah, absolutely dabble in everything. But, um, yeah, I think it's pretty key to to become some subject matter experts um, in this day and age. But, yeah, as long as you're looking at the right areas. Yeah, and no, in financial markets you can get surrounded by noise very, very quickly. So it's quite it, – it's the social media um, world in that respect doesn't doesn't assist oh, at all. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a bit. I mean, I talk about it a lot. Is is getting? It's a you know, I've heard a few people say, but yeah, you know, it's getting rid of the noise. One of the keys to for mental health is how do you get rid of the noise? So if you're trying to focus on five hundred things, as you just said, then there's a lot of noise out there. How do you cut through that? Well, you've got to you know, number one, know what it is you believe in, but also you know, remove those external things that are creating all of that noise, which is why a good walk up a hill and a glass of red uh, <laughs> can work well sometimes. <laughs> no, <I laughs> Definitely gets rid of the noise. Uh, Maybe I that's you. why I don't read books. Uh, I don't want you. the noise. <laughs> I hear you there. Now, um, look, Stuart, we, we'll, we'll leave it there. You've been incredibly generous with your time. You have an inspirational personal story, your thoughts on business, including running a tourism business through a global pandemic, amongst others, as well as climate change and sustainability have both been really enjoyable and incredibly insightful. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for taking the time to speak with the Good Investing Podcast today. Thanks, Andrew, for your time as well. It's been great. Thank you for listening to the Good Investing Podcast. Subscribe to hear future episodes and for more information about Ethical Partners Funds Management, visit ethicalpartners.com.au.